Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you've joined us today and I hope that you're ready to study the Bible a little bit because that's what we do on Know Your Bible. You'll see some phone numbers and website at the bottom of the screen. Use those anytime to get in touch with us. You're the ones that direct this program. A little bit different than most religious TV programs. Now, many of them tell you what they think you need to know, and we ask you what you'd like to know. And that's how we help you know your Bible, just by answering your questions. So if you've got a detailed question about a verse or a doctrine or uh, anything in the Bible, or maybe something that you just can't believe it's in the Bible, we'll see if we can find it for you. Or maybe something going on in your family or the the world that you think, man, I wonder what God has to say about that. We'd be happy to try to find you an answer to any of those things. So log on or use the phone number. You direct the program. Toby and I will try to answer your questions. Toby Levering's back. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. Howdy. I'm Steve Dandy, and we're going to answer as many as we can today. So let's start with one for you, though, and this one's about the apostles. Uh, which apostles were brothers? I'll give you an answer to that at the end of the program. See if you know that bit of Bible trivia. Looks like I drew number one today, and it's an interesting one. Is God <coughs> in control of the world at this time, or is Satan in control of this world? Well, I imagine our viewer has read one of a couple of verses that make him wonder. So let's look at these two verses that I found together. Second Corinthians 4, 4 says, Satan is the God of this world. And John twelve thirty one calls Satan the, the ruler of this world. In fact, Jesus himself said that one. Satan is the ruler of this world. So our viewer says, well, I thought God was in control. And there it says Satan's in control. Well, I think those verses can be understood better that Satan uh, has a major influence in this world. He's got a major influence on the majority of people, it seems. Uh, in one sense, the world philosophies, uh, education system is geared a lot toward anti-God things. Uh, the false religions in the world, all of them, comes from Satan's lies and his deceit. So if you look at the world in general right now, uh, Satan has got pretty good control of a big majority of it. But he doesn't rule completely. God is sovereign. Uh, what Satan does is only because God allows him to, and we don't understand that sometimes, but in his sovereign and ultimate wisdom, God has decided this is the way it will be. Uh, we are given free choice, and we can listen to God's teachings and follow him, or we can listen to the teachings of Satan and follow him. And so when the Bible says things like Satan's a ruler of this world, it means he's got a lot of people following him right now. 
Uh, that's the way the world operates. And we have to understand that the Bible uses those terms as God's way and the world's way. So, yes, the world is controlled, uh, ruled in one sense by Satan, but God has ultimate control. Uh, at some point, he's going to send Jesus back and take ultimate control of everything and punish Satan and his followers. Uh, another way to think about it is unbelievers are under the control of God. And probably if you added it up, there's more unbelievers than there are believers in this world. Uh, so Satan's in control or ruling. But uh, believers are not under the control of Satan. They follow the rule of God. And ultimately, every knee will bow to God. So I think that's what it means. Satan certainly has a major influence right now in this old world. A viewer asked the question, does a fetus have a soul? Uh, my answer to that is yes. Uh, uh, I, I would call a fetus a baby, a child uh, that hasn't been born yet. And the scripture is quite clear. There's a couple of psalms that tell us that God is very directly involved in that beautiful, wonderful uh, part of life. Uh, Psalm 139, which won't be on your screen, but if you want to look it up, you certainly could. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Now, there's two parts. Human beings are physical and spiritual, right? And so there's a, a knitting together in the mother's womb, which Psalm 139 talks about when God puts together the DNA and he make, gives you fingerprints and he gives your eyes color and he opens your eyes and uh, he, he uh, aligns your body with all of the, the tools and uh, organs and everything that it will need for life. Uh, that's part of it. But then the scriptures say, your eyes saw my unformed body, the part of you that makes you, you, the soul. And so certainly God was present uh, when he developed that. In fact, Psalm 139 says, all the days allotted for you are allotted before even one of them comes to be. So yes, a, a child does have a soul at whatever stage of life from conception uh, all the way forward just as you and I do uh, let's read Psalm 119 and sa which says for you created my inmost being you knit me together in my mother's womb I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made it's a beautiful picture and it reminds us of how valuable we are a bit, not just because of who we are but because of who made us so hope that helps all right, got a question with a lot of specifics in it, which I edited some of them out a little bit. A uh, viewer says, I was sprinkled at about six or eight to be confirmed into the church, and she named a church, said, I now attend the so-and-so church. Uh, do I need to be baptized again? Uh, my preacher says, I don't need to. Okay. Uh, that question, the reason I edited those out is we don't talk about specific denominations much on this program, and uh, I wanted to make it a more generic kind of question. doesn't really matter which church. The question is, what's baptism about? 
And uh, to this viewer's concept, uh, sprinkling is baptism. And I won't discuss that because Toby's going to talk about it a little bit later. And uh, the sprinkling, or baptism, she called it, uh, was for confirmation in the church. Well, the Bible says baptism is for the remission of sin. So there's a couple of problems in there. And I thought the best way to answer this is not to analyze all the specific denominations' doctrines and tell her yes or no, she needs to be baptized. Her preacher's telling her what uh, his denomination believes. Uh, but I think let's step up just a notch and look at what the Bible says about baptism. And one way I think is good to do that is to think about what happens at baptism. And I've made a chart with a list of a number of things. Uh, and you can write these down and look them up, or if you call or log on, we'll send you a copy of it if you want. But all of these things happen at baptism. Uh, the big one is that's when we enter Christ. We enter into Christ, Romans 6, 3 and 4 says. And in Christ is a pretty important place to be. Uh, <clears throat> in Christ is where salvation is. It's where every spiritual blessing is. It's where we become the righteousness of God. It's where we get redemption through His blood. It's where we receive forgiveness of sins. All of that happens in Christ. If you can figure out another way to get into Christ, uh, tell me about it. But the Bible says you enter into Christ at baptism. Uh, we gain a clear conscience at baptism, 1 Peter 3.21. We obey at baptism. We receive the Holy Spirit. We are added to the church. All of those things are pretty important things, and they happen when we are baptized. Uh, that's the promises. That's the teaching. So uh, I would suggest our viewer look at that list, uh, whether she's been sprinkled for confirmation or whatever. Uh, that's not a biblical discussion. Uh, do you want to be in Christ? Do you want to obey? Do you want forgiveness of sins? Do you want all those things I list? Well, that happens at baptism. Uh, so whatever that preacher says or whatever you've been taught, uh, I'd suggest reading the Bible and saying, do I want all of those things? Uh, if so, I need to be baptized because that's when all of those things happen. So hope that helps some and uh, encourage you to study that list and want to study the Bible for that matter. And that's my next topic here is how to study the Bible. Uh, some people have never seen a list like that or never read those verses. They just have heard what a preacher tells them. Well... <clears throat> the people in Berea were called noble in Acts because they searched the scriptures. Uh, they didn't just listen to what Paul said. They looked in the scriptures to see what they really said and confirmed that Paul was telling the truth. And that's what we say on this program is don't believe everything Toby and I tell you. Uh, we think we're getting it to you straight and we hope it is all believable and nothing's wrong. But... Uh, higher than that, we encourage you to study the Bible for yourself. And a lot of our viewers do already. A lot of viewers haven't got started. And that's why we've got some tools that we think are great ways to study the Bible. Here are eight lessons in an introductory course, good overview of the Bible, uh, good introduction to what the Bible's all about. And when you're done with this, you'll know a lot more about the Bible. 
And then we've got some more advanced courses that go beyond this. A great way to keep studying the Bible for a long time with Know Your Bible Study Tools. And we recently added some online courses. If you'd rather do it online, we've got a way to do that. Just uh, log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org and you can get started studying the Bible on your uh, phone, tablet, PC, and uh, you'll learn just as much Bible, just in a little different way. So we encourage you to do that phone number, website at the bottom of the screen all the time. Uh, use those anytime you want and let us help you study the Bible and know your Bible a little bit better. All right, tell me. You're asked the question about the seven deadly sins. Are the seven deadly sins all listed in one passage in the Bible? No, the seven deadly sins are not listed in one passage in the Bible. Uh, there is a place in Scripture where there are uh, seven sins listed, uh, famously known as Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. It's not the same list as what's commonly referred to as the question you're asking about, the seven deadly sins. But uh, if you want to read that, Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to Him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict. So uh, that's a list, but that's not the list you ask about. The seven deadly sins was a list that originated uh, under the Catholic Church around the 6th century. Someone created this list, and we'll look at it on the screen, because it's commonly known as uh, the sins of wrath, greed, sloth, pride, lust, envy, and gluttony, wrath being a strong anger or hatred, greed being, greed being an excessive pursuit of the material goods, uh, sloth being excessive laziness, pride being uh, the inflated view of, a, of self to the point of uh, being destructive towards self and others, uh, lust being those strong passions and longing usually associated with the sexual. The envy is the intense desire to have what belongs to someone else and gluttony being excessive eating or drinking. Now, uh, does the scripture warn against those sins? It certainly does. You won't find a single passage uh, where all of those uh, sins are lumped together, but when you go through the New Testament, it certainly warns about uh, those different practices in different places, and we ought to, uh, of course, do what God wants us to do. Uh, in, a, in a larger sense, God says that all sin is not only deadly in the spiritual sense, but it just makes our lives harder in the earthly sense. Uh, engaging in those things may feel good for a temporary time, but in the long run, it's not good for us. And that's the reason God uh, sets up those commands, because He knows what's best for us, and He wants us to have a blessed life in this world and in the world to come. So uh, the, the best advice I could give toward, toward that list, or really toward all sin, is of course that we need to be forgiven of it in Jesus. And then once you're in Christ, uh, you need to begin a living a life that avoids evil. Doesn't seek to get as close to it as possible, but avoids it and even avoids the very appearance of it. And that's what First Thessalonians 5.22 says, which this will be on the screen. First uh, Thessalonians 5.22 says, abstain from every form of evil. Uh, that's a, a list that's well known, but all sin is bad for us. We do best to just <coughs> abstain from it, abstain from the very appearance of it. So I hope that uh, helps you in your walk. 
All right. Got an interesting question here from a viewer about his wife. He says, my wife wants to quit taking medications and says that God will heal her. Uh, what's your opinion? Well, we don't give medical advice on this program, but uh, <clears throat> we'll talk about this a little bit. But I guess we ought to have some kind of legal disclaimer first uh, to, to give advice on something like that. But uh, they ask for our opinion, so I'll tell you a little bit. Uh, I realize that there are people that teach uh, that faith is all you need. Uh, that don't use medical science, don't use doctors just to pray, be faithful, and God will take care of everything. Uh, we see every once in a while a legal case in this country where uh, usually it's a family that has a child that has some kind of disease or illness that medical science can cure, can fix, uh, but they don't trust in medical science and they're just praying and the child's probably going to die. The courts get involved in that, and there's a huge battle over uh, religious rights and everything and protecting the child rights, and what do we do here? So I understand that exists, and <clears throat> if this person's wife has decided, no, nope, I'm going to stop all medications and just trust God, I don't know anything about the situation or the seriousness of it or what the doctors have said, so I can't uh, give you any kind of opinion on that. Uh, we do advocate prayer. Uh, we do believe God heals. We certainly believe that you ought to pray, uh, pray to be healed. But uh, we don't discount medical science. Uh, God gave us a brain uh, to figure things out, and we've figured out a lot of things. We can fix a lot of things that uh, we didn't used to be able to fix. And I think a Christian ought to use common sense and avail themselves of some of those things that science has figured out. Uh, the Bible doesn't <coughs> uh, discount medical science. In fact, Luke was a physician. Uh, he was called the beloved physician, a good friend of Paul and traveled with Paul. And uh, a physician was a good thing even in those days. Uh, Paul himself gave some medical advice to Timothy. Timothy had some stomach problems, if you read over there in Timothy. And Paul told him what to do about it medically, stop drinking the bad water. So the Bible's got some pro-medical advice in it. Uh, <clears throat> so, yes, we believe in prayer, we believe God can heal, uh, but I don't think it's, in my opinion, wise to discount medical science and uh, eliminate it completely. Um, you have to use your own judgment in that, and I'll leave it up to the individual viewers to think through that and, and make that decision. But uh, I'd use medical science if, if, if it was me, I believe. All right, let me take this moment and uh, invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. Uh, this program is produced by the Churches of Christ. The Northside Church of Christ in Wichita, Kansas is our home church, but uh, we're supported by lots of other folks in the Church of Christ around the country, and we like to mention a few each week. Uh, today, let me mention a couple in uh, western Kansas, a little bit west of Wichita anyway. Uh, both Kingman and uh, Pratt community have very active, fine groups of Christians meeting at the, as the Church of Christ, and we like to thank them for their support. I invite you to thank them also. If you're looking for a church home, you'd be warmly welcome. You'd find a group of people at either one of those congregations 
uh, people that think and study the Bible a lot like we do here on this program. Uh, maybe you know somebody that uh, works with you or goes to school with you that attends the Kingman Church or the Pratt Church of Christ. Uh, tell them. You saw them mentioned on Know Your Bible, and you appreciate that program and appreciate them providing it for you. So whichever community you live in, uh, drop in, visit them. Any community you're watching from, there's probably a Church of Christ near you. Uh, drop in and tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible. All right, Toby, what's yep. your viewer after as here? You, as you mentioned, a uh, baptism question. We get that uh, from time to time here on the program and always happy to help. And baptism, is having water poured over your head true baptism? No, it is not. Uh, having baptism or having water poured over your head is called baptism by some, but it's not baptism biblically speaking, which is what we're about on this program. The original word baptism, what is translated as a baptize or baptism is in the a, a Greek word, it's just transliterated. It's just baptizo. And that word, the meaning of it, is always to be buried, to be dipped, to be immersed. Uh, and there is just no doubt, uh, there, there's no <laughs> argument with that definition that's clearly understood. Uh, when you're sprinkled, there's a different, entirely different word. Your rentizod, I believe, is the word. So there, there are just two different meanings and definitions. The problem was, of course, baptism began in the early church, but then over time it began to be modified and changed. And and people ask, what well, are those modifications and changes? The original, uh, the original design, the original plan, and uh, the original intent, and they simply are not. Uh, when baptism. The first thing, even beyond the definition, is looking at what, how baptism is described in the scriptures. And every time a baptism is described in detail, it is always a person going into the water, going under the water, coming up out of the water, not having water poured over their head. Let's look at a couple of examples. First is Mark chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water... Immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Let's move next. Acts chapter 8. This is Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. They both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Okay, so we know the definition meant to be dipped, to be immersed, to go under the water, uh, to be buried under the water. And and each description of it that we have in Scripture shows people going into the water, under the water, and coming up out of the water. So immersion is just how to do it. It's the only way. And people say, well, if I've been sprinkled or poured, is that good enough? Should I redo it? Well, technically, you haven't been baptized if you've been sprinkled or poured, so you should be biblically baptized if you have a correct understanding of that. Now, um, uh, that's the biblical answer, and uh, let's give you one final scripture from Romans chapter 6, which tells us that baptism is really a part of the picture of the gospel. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So no pouring and sprinkling, any other forms are, are not true baptism. True biblical baptism is being immersed. I hope that helps. I thought it was interesting you said there that uh, everybody agrees that baptizo meant immersion. Mm -hmm. And 
any church you're part of, uh, ask them, and if they'll look at the history uh, and read it, no one will say anything except, oh yeah, baptism was always immersion when the church started. In the first century and for many centuries thereafter, it was always immersion. Mm -hmm. Uh, But now we think this is okay too. Uh, And many mainline denominations even that practice sprinkling or something, uh, if you read their articles of faith and all that, they provide for immersion. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you mm-hmm. want to be immersed, they agree, well, that's biblical baptism, and right. we'll do that if you want. Yeah. Uh, but they just say, well, these other things are okay, too, now. So right. all we're doing is saying, that's what the Bible yeah. says. Let's just do what the Bible says. That's right. Uh, and that's kind of our principle here on this program. All right, quick question. Was Jesus married is the question. Was Jesus married? The answer is no. Uh, <laughs> four careful biographers uh, would not have left that out, I think. If uh, Jesus was married somehow, and I know there's myths and legends and fiction books that talk about it, uh, but the four biographers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were very careful and accurate. And if Jesus would have been married, I think they probably would have mentioned that little item. So, no, he was not married. All right. A follow-up question to that is, will you still be married in heaven? And the answer to that, according to Jesus, is also no. Uh, Matthew chapter 22, Mark chapter 12, Luke chapter 20 are all give us a very clear insight. Jesus ad- addressing the resurrection and what life will be like in the resurrection. And in part of that, he says, and let's look at Mark chapter 12, verses, verse 25. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now, when you die, the marriage covenant that you are a part of is dissolved. That's the, that's the nature of a covenant, that you are, are making that uh, covenant. And in some wedding vows, you hear, hear till death do us part. And, and that's something we kind of forget. Now, it seems a little bit strange when you think about it, especially if you've been married to someone for a long time, uh, you know, 50 or 60 years, to think, gosh, I both get to heaven and then we won't be married, and how will that work? And yeah, God's going to work all of that out, but the, the, the world that we go to uh, is going to be very different in so many respects. Now, obviously, I think we'll still recognize our spouse. I think we'll still know our loved ones and our families, but but the old ways of this world, the old order of things will have passed away, all of it. And so uh, we'd like to know more about what that means and how exactly that's going to work. But I assure you uh, that if Jesus said it's true, then that's the way that it is. So hope that it is. Uh, I, th- I think God's going to work that out. I know that he will. Perfectly in a perfect relationship and all that. One way I think about it is the purpose of marriage on earth was to populate the earth, procreation, and to complete each other. Males and females weren't complete separately. Well, in heaven, we're going to be complete, and we won't need to procreate. So the purpose of it is gone. Uh, The relationship's surely still going to be there somehow, and and God will figure that out, and we'll let him handle that one. (laughs) But I can handle the trivia question. Uh, Which apostles were brothers? And there were two sets of them, actually. Simon, Peter, and Andrew were brothers, and James and John were brothers. So those were the only two pairs of brothers of the twelve 
It's interesting. He picked two pairs of brothers out of the 12. We're glad you've been with us today and hope that you come back next week because we answer some more of your questions. Till then, we hope you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.